If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. Animals are healers. They've been proven to reduce pain and anxiety, reduce blood pressure, release endorphins, and just bring joy in what can be a scary place, a hospital. So it's not really a surprise for hospitals and healthcare systems and long-term care facilities to have pet therapy teams who volunteer to test and certify their well-tempered animals, mostly dogs, to comfort patients and families. Nemours has pet therapy teams at both NCH locations, and if you check the show notes for this episode, I'll include some photos I took of those pets at NCH Florida back in March 2020, right before the pandemic. Today, Nemours has taken the next step in pet therapy and obtained a specially trained pet assistant or in-residence dog. Allie is a full-time Nemours associate. She comes to work every day and is part of a child's treatment team. She can comfort children going through procedures, teach kids how to take a pill, be there for their families, and even model a hospital gown. Since Allie's English is a bit rough, we're turning to her handler, Kelsey Zabula, to learn more. By training, Kelsey is a child life specialist, but she recently joined Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware as pet therapy coordinator, which includes oversight of Allie. Let's hear more about Allie and the program from Kelsey Sabula. Before I worked here, I worked at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta in Georgia. I worked on an inpatient rehabilitation unit for about two and a half years before I became a facility dog handler. And I got my facility dog in 2019. And I have had her, her name's Allie. She's a four and a half year old golden doodle. And I've had her ever since. And we worked primarily on the rehab unit and then did some different consults for the entire hospital as needed. But CHOA, our children's from Atlanta, it has the largest facility dog program in the country. They have anywhere from 16 to 18 dogs at any given time. So um, it's been really exciting coming to Nemours, who um, just recently received a grant from the Joy and Childhood Foundation to start a facility dog program. And it's it's really cool because Allie, when I got her, was one of the original 10 Joy and Childhood Foundation dogs. A little bit about the Joy and Childhood Foundation. That's the philanthropic arm of Duncan, as in the donuts and the coffee. It's their Dogs for Joy program, and it's specifically aimed at helping increase the number of dogs like Allie who work full-time in children's hospitals. They're occasionally referred to as Duncan Dogs. So 
a few years ago, they donated around $30,000 to different programs to fund um, a facility dog in a hospital. We went from being uh, one of the original Duncan dogs to now starting a program with their larger donation of $150,000 that pays for all of Allie's medical care and the onboarding of new facility dogs. So our hope is in the next 12 to 18 months, we will onboard another facility dog at Nemours and, and kind of keep going from there. I think everybody in their minds has an idea of what pet therapy is, but you're the professional. What is pet therapy in your estimation from your yeah, point so of view? When we think of it, it's, it's really this service that we are providing to patients or to anyone, a type of therapy that involves the use of animals to facilitate recovery. So you see pet therapy being utilized in hospitals to provide support for patients. You see it recently in the news with um, universities who right before their finals, they bring in pet therapy. They bring pet therapy into libraries, into elementary schools to provide emotional support. It's really the idea that an animal can provide a service that we as clinicians or humans can't. We know that utilizing an animal to reach anyone, whether that be a, a child or an adult, it really kind of comes down to what do humans need. We need contact, we need socialization, and we have this instinctual need to, to keep our hands busy and to have a tactile experience. And bringing an animal into the room when you're waking up from a procedure or you're going through something very emotional, being able to love on an animal, whether that be a dog, it's, it's typically a mammal. There are a few snakes I've heard of, but really it's dogs, it's cats, it's horses, provides that emotional outlet. And research shows that it increases endorphins, which we know leads to the reduction of stress and our blood pressure. And overall just makes people happy. So being able to provide that, especially in a hospital setting where patients and families and even associates are struggling with really hard things, it's a service that we can provide that we can't provide. It's bringing in something organic and natural to a very sterile environment to increase those endorphins to aid in the healing process that as clinicians, our doctors and our medical team don't necessarily have the capacity for, but these animals do. When we think of a pet therapy dog, it's exactly how it sounds. It's someone's personal pet. Their handler, their human, their family saw something in them that sparked this idea that, oh, they would be great. You hear it all the time. My dog would be a great therapy dog. They love getting pets. They love snuggling. And they, they take it one step further and they go to an accredited program where they go through a series of trainings and different environments and and they become certified. They have checked off all these boxes that they are approachable and safe and snuggly. And then their handler brings them into a facility two to three hours, maybe once a week, maybe once a month. That is someone's pet and it is providing a therapy. So pet therapy. And then you look at what a facility dog does. They are bred, raised, and trained to work in some type of environment and provide a service. So they are not what we consider like someone's personal one-on-one -on -one service dog, but they are a facilities service animal that provides very specific interventions to meet goals. And so Allie comes from a program called Canine Assistance in Milton, Georgia, and 
her parents, his parents, his parents were all facility dogs. And so from the time Allie was born, she started wearing a, a little green vest. And once they hit about six to nine months old, they decide if the dog is going to be a facility dog or if they're going to be a one-on-one service dog. And there's a lot of different criteria that go into that, but definitely being able to be loved on by a lot of people, being accepting of sights and smells and experiences. And then once they realize, okay, this dog has all the criteria to be a facility dog, work in a a specific environment, then they start training to that environment. So before Allie ever got placed with me or any of the other facility dogs get placed with their handlers, they are exposed to the facility that they'll be going to. Obviously, they can't go to every facility in the country, but all of the dogs train at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta location. So they're exposed to elevators and wheelchairs and walkers, beeping of IV poles, all the different sights and sounds and experiences you would expect in a hospital setting. And from there, based off their personality, they are placed in a hospital. So Allie, for instance, very high energy, but also can lay very still for a very long time. And so she was placed on the rehab setting. I did not choose Allie. Allie was chosen for me. She works really well. She can play fetch until she literally can't move. She can help patients ambulate. She can do all these other things. But if you look at facility dogs in the broader picture, they have specific training. So Allie and all the other facility dogs, they can provide support for an IV placement. And it's not just sitting on the floor while a patient is getting an IV poke and then afterwards they engage. Allie is up in the bed with the patient. She knows how to lay across the body to act as a weighted blanket so a patient doesn't move or doesn't feel like they have to be held down. She can take medication from a cup. So she has little placebo-looking dog treat pills, and we practice using them in a cup to model for patients. She can have her blood pressure taken. She can take medication out of a syringe. She will jump up onto the MRI or x-ray scanner to model what it looks like to take hospital pictures. The list goes on and on, but she can really do a service for patients up and above what our pet therapy teams can because she's also placed with a trained clinician. So we talked a little bit about associates. A few weeks ago, I was called down to the ED here. They had a really rough morning where a patient unfortunately passed away and the staff needed to debrief. Well, we can't ask a volunteer and a pet therapy dog to go into that set of circumstances where patient information is going to be discussed. But because I'm a paid associate, I'm a child life specialist, I can take my dog into that setting where she can provide some of that emotional support to associates and be a presence. You know, as a child life specialist, we often talk about it's not what we're providing, but it's the presence that we have in the room. Well, Allie has four legs, so, you know, in theory, her presence is even bigger. But she can do that for staff. She can do it for patients and for families. You seem very fond of Allie. Uh, It sounds like you love her very, very much. Even though she was chosen to be placed with you, you didn't choose her. The bond is strong, isn't it? Yes. And it's funny that you you say the bond. Where Allie comes from there, when when you think of an animal in the hospital that's working essentially for the hospital, you think, oh, that dog probably is so well-trained. They know a million commands, et cetera, et cetera. When I received Allie, she did not know how to sit. She did not know how to stay 
or any of the other commands that you would associate with a service animal because everything that she was taught was really based off the bond that she had with whoever was with her at the time. And that's why, unlike some of like the seeing eye dogs that you hear about where they're with the same person or the same family for 12 to 18 months before they're placed, Allie was with a series of families for one week at a time, taken back to the facility at the farm, which is where canine assistance is, and then placed with another family because they don't want the dogs to bond with anyone except for their primary handler. So they are what what we call in the facility dog world a bond-based training program versus an instructional-based training program. And ironically, Allie, I've already told her this, but I actually did not want Allie because I they trained at Choa. I knew who all the dogs were, and I actually really wanted her brother, Cohen, who now works at Texas Children's Hospital with the CJ Canales. But then they brought out Allie and they brought out Cohen and CJ really wanted Allie. I really wanted Cohen. And right when they got to us, they did a switch. But, you know, they must have known what what they were doing because within 30 minutes, I had stood up to go to the bathroom and Allie followed me to the door and just whined and cried. And the the CEO, Jennifer Arnold of Canine Assistance said, I've never seen a dog bond faster with a handler than Allie did with you. So ever since, we've been an inseparable duo. And though I do love Cohen dearly and Allie FaceTimes him every year on their birthday, uh, I'm very lucky to have Allie. She's a great dog. So give me a little background about you and your bond with animals. Nobody comes into working with a facility dog as deeply as you have without some background in having had pets growing up or in association with animals. Has that bond always been there for you? I feel like it has. My grandparents own a ranch in Nevada, and they've always had dogs, horses. My family, we actually grew up having Shetland sheepdogs, so we've always had animals running around. I'm actually allergic to cats, but I do like them. And so it's it's always been, I loved having animals around. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a vet. However, I did not want to go to school for that long, so that had to kind of take a left turn. But it wasn't really in the cards for me to be a facility dog handler until I saw what the utilization in an appropriate therapeutic way could do to serve a patient. For example, I shared earlier that they do all their training at CHOA before they get placed. And I had a patient, it was a adolescent male, came from uh, a really horrific set of circumstances and had a really tough surgery where ambulation was hard. And this patient was really not wanting to participate. And not very often in rehab do you have a patient that just flat out refuses to a point where the medical team has to say, like, do we send this patient home? Because they're not engaging. They're not participating. Nothing that I could do as a child life specialist would encourage or motivate this patient to do anything. There's no staff that he connected with. And it wasn't until we were going into the gym one day and the facility dogs in training were in the gym. One was laying on the mat and that patient saw the dog and said, I want to go pet that dog. And the PT, hearing for the first time this patient actively ask for something, said, well, if you want to go see that dog, you have to walk to it. 
he said, okay, give me my walker. Turned around, snagged his walker. For the first time, independently stood up and walked across the room to this dog. And I looked at the PT and I was like, that's it. That's the missing piece, motivation. And I started doing research into how dogs are utilized, not just from a therapeutic standpoint, from the like what we consider pet therapy, but a very functional, goal-oriented dog. And then I did a little more research. I started benchmarking facilities that had dogs in a rehabilitation setting and realized if you pair a dog with the right handler, such as a child life specialist or a therapist or a psychologist where it's an already safe space where we're not technically asking the patient to do anything, but then also sprinkling in this, this organic motivation with a dog, you can get results that you couldn't get on your own. And so as soon as I, I started putting all this together, I reached out to my leadership. I reached out to the facility dog coordinator at Children's. And I said, what do I need to do to get a dog? And from there, it's, it's all kind of snowballed. And so incorporating Allie into my clinical practice, it took a little bit of time trying to figure out what the flow of things, but it's really been pretty flawless in the work that we've been able to do together. And like any other service dog in any other area, whether it's, you know, bomb sniffing or <laughs> guiding those who are sight impaired, Allie is highly trained and I'm sure it's a bit of an expense, which is where the joy of childhood came in. And when you were obtaining Allie, it wasn't like going down to the local shelter and applying. It was a lot of training for a dog who is ultimately for lack of any other way of putting it, an expensive proposition. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. Don't let the initial number scare you. So Allie is pretty much the cost of these days a used car. But the really amazing thing that canine assistance does is when you hear of kids that need a service animal, whether that be for a patient who has autism or needs to utilize a wheelchair to for mobility, all these different things. Families can't get dogs because they're so expensive. That's a huge expense to take on as a family, especially a family of a child or an adult with a special needs. So canine assistance charges hospitals for their dogs. We, we pay a, a pretty large amount for them. But in return, they do not charge any families that receive dogs. So it's really opened up this resource for, for parents to receive a dog that does have some training, that does provide a service for their child or adult. And in return, the hospitals who have better resources or, or bigger buckets to pull from can kind of pay that money up front and and provide that resource for patients and families. Because ultimately, a lot of the kids that are getting these dogs are patients of hospitals that the facility dogs serve at. So it's kind of a two for one. So it, it is a, a huge expense, but I will always say that the results that Allie has, has gotten or any of the facility dogs is worth every penny. I could tell you a um, dozen stories right now of ways that Allie has impacted patients and families in a way that I never could and in a way that really changed the outcome of their experience at the hospital or cultivated an experience that 
organically, we couldn't. So I think she's worth every penny, but you'd have to ask the finance team if they agree. Well, I think that it's more than just finance. This is a a benefit that is beyond measure to a lot of these kids. I want to hear a couple of those stories or Allie has impacted families and kids. Why don't you share that, Kelsey? Probably my favorite story. We had a patient who was in a really bad accident in a different state and was flown to Choa for rehab. And he had been out of his injury from the time of his accident until he got to us. It had been several months. And so as a rehabber, we know that you have the best chance of recovery the closer you are to your accident. So getting this patient so far out from his accident, it was really about training his family to take care of him safely at home. He did not talk. He did not engage. He didn't ambulate independently. Ultimately, he was one step up from a coma. And so I didn't spend a ton of time with him. I did work with his siblings. But I had a a really large unit, and so I had to prioritize some of my other patients who had immediate acute needs. All that to say, we walk into the gym one day, Allie and I. I was trying to go to the right, and Allie was very insistent that we go to the left. And Allie is, is usually my shadow, so when she is trying to go a different way than me, it usually involves food or something else that I'm not picking up on. So finally, I was like, okay, where are we going here? So I just kind of let her lead. She jumps up onto the mat next to this patient. So I said, okay, we're going to visit with him for a few minutes before we go to our other therapy session. So we're talking to him. He's laying flat on his back, and both of his arms are contracted. So they are bent to where his hands are almost touching his shoulders. And up until this point, he had not independently moved his arm to stretch it out. I don't even know if I can say this enough. He was not tracking with his eyes. He was not engaged. And so it wasn't until this moment that I was talking to him and I was like, you know, Allie's laying next to you. She came over here to see you and she's on your left. And he looked, he moved his head and he looked at Allie to the left and he stretched his arm out. And for the first time in three and a half months, he unclenched his left hand and put it on Allie. And was actively like moving his fingers. And I I stopped talking because I was so taken aback. I thought I was seeing things. Like I hadn't had coffee yet that morning. So I was like, what is this? And I look over at the PT and she she's just like crying. And she's like, We gotta we gotta call his dad. And at that moment, she pulls out her phone and the dad walks into the gym and His dad is like a very important guy, always wears a suit, CEO kind of guy. And he just dropped down and started crying. And it was the most moving experience that I've ever had. And that told us in that moment, he's in there. This kid is in there and he just needed something to get him out of there. And so from that, we started doing um, visits with his personal dog from home. It was right at the start of COVID. And he's now walking. He's engaging. He's got his own service animal. He's been to some of the best rehabs in the country to continue his, his healing. And his family will send me an email probably once every few months to give me an update. But nobody would have known that he was in there if Allie hadn't pulled it out of him. Another really good story is we were standing in the hallway and probably longer than I needed to talking with a colleague because Allie was laying on my feet snoring and this physician starts walking in the hallway 
and she's probably a good 15, 20 feet from us. And before I could reach down and grab Allie's leash, Allie pops up and sprints to this position. And I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Allie, come. And like, she was not listening to me at all. And which is not normal for her. She's usually a really quick, especially when I whistle, but she runs to this physician. The physician immediately collapses on the ground and starts crying. And Allie is snuggled up to her as close as she can get. And Allie's also not much of a licker, but she was licking this physician's face. And I was horrified trying to get Allie off of her. And the physician said, no, no, no. Like my dog just died last night. So I just stepped back and, and let them have their moment. I had no idea. This was not my physician. I did not know her from any unit. I had seen her around, but Allie just knew that she needed her. And I mean, this physician wasn't close to us. She didn't say anything. She didn't call Allie. Allie just sprinted to her. And it, it was a very impactful moment for us. And that is is why I say, you know, dogs can sense things that we can't. They can open doors that we can't in a way that no matter how much clinical training you have or classes you have, there are just some things we can't do that dogs can. Kelsey Sabula is the pet therapy coordinator and alley handler at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. Calling all Nemours Associates. Your podcast ideas are the engine behind the Champions for Children podcast. Send them along to podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Help us tell your story to the entire enterprise. The Champions for Children podcast is found on Nemours.net and the Nemours Now app and wherever you find your other favorite podcasts, including your smart speaker. Thanks, as always, to our production team, Cheryl Munn, Che Parker, and Rachel Salas-Silverman. Thanks also to the Duncan Joy of Childhood Foundation for the work they have done to get dogs like Allie to children's hospitals across the nation, like Nemours. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Kelsey Sabula, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and thank you, as always, for what you do for the children and families we serve.